Snap, George, and Gint here on a Thursday night, and we have an exciting show here for you guys. Uh, in about 15 minutes, we'll be having Tyrone Johnson from 97.5 The Fanatic joining us to get his thoughts on everything Sixers, and uh, we'll see what else we have time for, boys. But uh, tonight, how are we feeling? Feeling good. First guest. This is really exciting. First guest, big guest. Yeah, really big guest. Really known person without throughout the Philadelphia Sports Talk community. And Sixers basketball is back, so I'm just I'm ecstatic, man. I'm so excited. I'm like trembling almost. Like I have so it's right here. It's right here. And there's a lot to talk about today. Oh, yeah. A lot to talk about. Again, yeah, like you said, we're almost here. We're, they're all at the bubble. It's almost ready to go. So definitely excited to get this stuff going. Um, yeah, like you said, big guest today. Super exciting. Hell yeah, big show today. Tyrone. <laughs> I mean, we hear that man all over the airwaves from where we are. So it's going to be exciting. Talk some Sixers. Should be a good show today. All right. Well, before we have him on in a few minutes, uh, let's talk about the news that Brett Brown kind of came out and broke a couple days ago. Is a change to the starting lineup for the Philadelphia 76ers in Orlando, and that is with Ben Simmons moving to the power forward position Big. and Shake Milton. Big. 39 points against the Clippers, Shake Milton moving into the, running the point in Orlando. Um, as far as how long that rotation plays during the game, I don't know, but how are we feeling about it, guys? I'm excited. I'm, I won't say uh, I'm excited. I don't know how it's going to work because it is eight games before playoffs. We're going to make the playoffs. We're clinched. But you're trying to build chemistry with a new starting five right away and see how this works. You're putting Ben in a position that he hasn't played the last couple seasons. He's always been the point guard. They were so committed to him playing the point guard. And now we're going to get to see him at the power forward. And Shake, I, I'm happy for Shake because I think this is well-deserved. He's been playing out of his mind in any minutes he's gotten in the last couple seasons that he's gotten called up he had the big performance against the Clippers with Ben and Joel being out they lost the game but you know he kept it interesting he dropped 39 points and a lot of people are big fans of him I'm a big fan of him so I'm excited to see him in the starting point guard role and I really want to see how this works hell yeah I mean now because even you're in the bubble so even if it doesn't work you have so much time to just figure it out you have eight games to play you're in the bubble you're figuring it out Pretty exciting, though. I mean, it'll be a different look, but everyone in the organization seems pretty confident. And Brett Brown is nothing but high praise for him so far. So, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, no, I think change was definitely needed, obviously. Um, we didn't really know what it was going to be, and I'm glad it's shake because I think that's a really boost offensively in the starting lineup, which is what I think we kind of need. Um, so it's definitely going to be really interesting to see how it pans out. Like you said, changes, eight games, there can be changes. It might not work immediately, but like you said, eight games is a lot of time. Time to figure it out. Yeah, um, I saw a tweet the other day. It was actually pretty interesting. It said that Shake Milton is what we needed Mark Markel Fultz to be. And it's kind of true. Like, if Markel worked out, it's this kind of would have been your lineup, right? Like, Markel would have been running prime. Yeah, you have to assume. Yeah. So, I mean, this I don't is know. kind of what you were expecting. I, you know, I think we all agree that we love Ben Simmons here, and we see his upside. But there has been a lot of speculation over, is he a true point guard? A lot of people league-wide, not saying us, but saying he's not a true point guard and that he should be moved to the four. And then there's the question of, well, he doesn't really have a jump shot or he, he refuses to shoot, so how is he going to play off the ball without the ball in his hands? I think I like it because, um, Snap, you were talking a lot about it earlier, is the pick-and-roll option. 
because one, if Ben does start to shoot in Orlando because he's more comfortable without fans, we've seen what he can do in open gym. He's taken more. Brett Brown came out today and said he's taken more threes than he has probably in the last half season at practices. Um, his teammates are comfortable with him shooting the ball. They want him to shoot the ball. I just think in an open gym where they're, they're just balling, I think you're going to see a different Ben Simmons. And that's exciting because then when you run the pick and roll, let's say between him and Shake, if Shake, it bends the screener and rolling, Shake is also a very, well, has been a very good three-point shooter. Or and mid range, very shooter. good. Also, catch and shoot yes. player, ninety six percentile. So the you you can switch that up back and forth. And we know we've seen Ben work a little bit in the pick and roll where he rolls to the basket. He's got that whatever seven something wingspan where ball's just right here by the by the rim and he just it's laying in. And he makes so, a lot of good passing yes. plays down low. Um, which also let's say you let's I just here's an option. I don't know obviously how the game's going to break down, but if a pick and roll, if Ben's a screener, Ben Ben rolls. Drop it down to Ben. Defense collapses like you just referenced. Snap. He is a great playmaker and passer. Ben could just see that right away and just bang, pop out for an open three to Jay know, Rich or Toby. If he's down there on a pick and roll and he does have the ball in its wide open space, and you know they make a play to get in the way of him rolling to the basket, he, he's he's shown when he gets to the basket that he's actually a lot of times more comfortable passing out to the open yes. man. So now in a roll situation where you have two defenders, where you put him in a situation where two defenders have to be on him, one trying to catch back up with him and one trying to cut him off, get into the basket, it, he can find Joel down low. He can find an outside wing at the three-point line, which would either be Toby, Josh Richardson, or Shake Milton, whoever, well, whoever's not running the pick-and-roll with him. And they're all pretty efficient from shooting outside. So now, you, now you're putting him in a position to make plays in a more efficient way. You're not just asking him to try to get to the basket on his own where a defender's sagging off on him and they're double-stacking him and they're really clogging the lane on him. Now you're actually giving him a position, putting him in a position where – there's that space for him to move to the basket freely and you're making the defense change to him instead of making him trying to change the defense. It also allows Toby, since you just referenced him, it allows him to stick at his natural position at small forward rather than playing bigger at a power forward size. And guarding bigger players. Yeah, that's, that, yeah, that's what I mean more. Because yeah. on offense, he can take advantage of a power forward where not so much, not, I'm not saying he can't, but better than a small forward. Defensively, it helps him out a ton that he can play small forward and not have to deal with the bigger bodies. Ben, I mean, you've seen the pictures. He looks huge. Yeah, he looks, but that's never a concern with him. He's always in shape. He's always yeah. putting on weight. You remember when he dropped out of college to before the draft, they yeah. said he put on 40 pounds of muscles in, in, in like three months. Dude's absolutely a, a grinder in the gym. So I was, I've never been worried about his work ethic in the gym. It's more about the jump shot. And if we get into that, it seems like this is really coming along. Uh, we've seen videos of him pre-Orlando talking to someone, asking, yeah, telling him that the jump shot looks good and he should take it more, and he's saying, Orlando, Orlando, just wait for Orlando. And now you have Brett Brown coming out saying that um, he's been shooting it a lot more in practice, twice the amount that he has, which might not be saying anything because he probably wasn't even taking a lot in practice in general. But just to hear that he is trying to do that is really helpful. And like we all said like last week, with Ben that or not last week two weeks ago yeah that Ben 
sometimes we think he looks more comfortable in an open gym shooting the ball, whether it's summer summer practices, summer workouts, or even when he was in the summer league his uh, rookie year before he came into the league and broke his foot. He was shooting the ball a lot in those summer league games. So it's exciting. If this jump shot's in this position, he could even pick and pop. He could do a lot of things. He's already super athletic and super quick. So him in a pick and roll, if he gets one shot outside and he shoots that ball, it changes the whole dynamic of the offense. And we've been saying this for years. So it's really starting to possibly come together. Yeah, so I think we can all agree that we like the transition. We like to move just to see at least how it works out. It's just an exciting like aspect to the Sixers now. Um, but Brett Brown has made a lot of comments in the past couple of weeks about, you know, he's, kind of, he's trying to take the focus off of the starting five, the importance of the starting five, and he's trying to put together different combinations and different rotations of players throughout the game. And... I just want to get your guys' thoughts on that. Like, so yeah, Ben moves to the four now to start the game, but we know Ben's going to play 38, 40, 42 minutes a game. He's still going to be playing a lot of point guard with the ball in his hands a ton throughout the course of a basketball game. So, what, like, what kind of formations, if any, are you guys looking forward? I know today they he mentioned the the Ben, Toby, Horford, Thibault, and Corkmaz rotation. Um, do you guys like that one? Would you rather see? You know, Alec Burks in a rotation, Glenn Robinson the third. What, what are you guys looking for? I mean, I definitely that rotation looks good. A rotation I really would like to see is would have Simmons, Thibel, and Richardson at the one, two, and three. I think that's a defensive nightmare for teams one, two, and three. And then obviously probably Toby and Embiid being the four and five. That's a lot of starters in there. But I like Thibel in there as a defense presence. Or you could even put Horford at the, at the center position, yeah. which is his natural position where he probably looks seems to be the most comfortable. So I think that's a defensive lineup that could give a lot of teams a lot of problems. If you want to go more offensive, uh, Burks is Burks. Burks was filling it up when he was in Golden State. Same thing with Glenn Robinson the third. So those guys are definitely guys that can fill it up, as along with Corkmaz. So the Sixers have a lot of options. It, these eight games are really going to have to dwindle down to what's working and what's not, and that's what you have to roll into the playoffs, obviously. So those are the two lineups I'd really like to see. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Jay Rich, Matisse, and Simmons being on the court at the same time would just be amazing defensively. But I'm, I really like Simmons, Ferk, Matisse. Harris Horford like and Brett Brown did say he's like it's definitely going to be a part of the rotation so I'm pretty excited to see that one too especially with Korkmaz on there I I do like that addition I know Korkmaz isn't a defensive nightmare like Josh Richardson is but Josh Richardson does have to get rest especially if he's taking up on the second best perimeter player that he has to guard that takes a lot out of you and you know Korkmaz has shown over the last couple seasons that he is improving as a catch and shoot jump shooter especially from outside in the three point range you saw him hit that game winner not too long ago or was it to tie the game yeah it was a game winner He, he, he likes to take those shots he is confident and he's a good shooter also I like the lineup where you have Horford in the secondary lineup with Matisse and Ben because now you can put you can push Ben out to the outside defending outside players which he which he's he reeks having on because he's so he's so long Pause. Pause. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he wreaks havoc out there and when he's with Matisse and you have a guy like Horford defending the block, defending the paint, you can get a little more risky playing the passing lanes. And those guys love getting deflections. They love getting steals. I, I really don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I guarantee you Matisse and Ben, who do, are one in three in steals this year, would probably be the top one, two of the top players in leading the league in points over turnovers. All right, boys. Well, uh, I think it's time to bring on our guest here. 
So he is a host and producer at 97.5 The Fanatic, as well as a co-host of the Sixers Outsiders. You can catch him from 2 to 6, Monday through Fridays on the Mike Missinelli Show. It is Tyrone Johnson. Ty, um, how are you feeling today? Good. What's up with you guys? Nothing much, man. Uh, just a pleasure to have you on. I hope you're staying safe during you know this crazy time with this pandemic and everything. Uh, how you been keeping busy during the quarantine? Yeah, been keeping busy. Been keeping busy. You know, still got to work every day, which kind of makes it tougher to produce the show. But you got to stay busy, and uh, you know, just trying to you know stay safe. I hope you guys are staying safe as well. Thank you, man. Trying definitely. our best. Yeah. All right. Well, there's definitely a lot of Sixers talk going on, and that's kind of what we were hitting on before uh, you came on. So Matt, George, Gant, and I were just discussing the lineup changes that Brett Brown was alluding to with Shake Milton starting at point and Ben moving to the four at power forward position. So I'm going to throw this over to Matt real quick because I know he's eager to ask you a question about the starting lineup. What's going on, Tyrone? Uh, Matt Szymanski. And we clearly, like, like Dylan said, have been hearing a lot about with the new lineup change, especially coming from Brett Brown. And he says he's moving Ben Simmons to the four and shake to the starting point guard. And people have been wanting to see this for the last couple of seasons, especially Ben playing the four. And they wanted to see more shake Millen with how well he's been playing over earlier in the season. And I just want to get your take on, do you think this is going to benefit the Sixers moving forward? And if so, in what way? I think it'll benefit because playing Simmons and Dean and Horford together for a lot of minutes, it didn't work all year, and I don't think it was going to work once they restarted the season. So for that reason, I think it'll benefit them. As far as how much, that really depends on Sick Milton and whether or not this was a small sample size type of situation, or uh, Ben Simmons. If if just if if Sick Milton is just there to create space and to balance the floor better, and Ben Simmons actually shoots the basketball, well then it'll look great. If not, it won't look so great. So I think a lot of this will be up to, to Ben Simmons. But I think it helps no matter what because playing Simmons and being Horford together for, for large stretches just wasn't going to work. This year, I don't think it would ever work. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that. But also, Brett was talking about incorporating a lot more pick and rolls moving forward. And he also said that Ben Simmons has looked explosive in those sets and that Embiid and Simmons' chemistry in the pick and roll looks more, or not in the pick and roll, but their chemistry on the floor together while running the pick and, for, pick and roll, especially with Ben at the four, looks a lot more stable and a lot better than before. Do you think him running the pick and roll would really help this offense moving forward? I think it'll help it a lot because you can't have an offense. Brett Brown's offense, one of the flaws of his offense is, is too democratic. Everybody gets a shot. Everybody gets a vote. Really, once the playoffs start, Embiid should get the most shots by a wide margin. Simmons, Tobias, Shakespeare should kind of get the least. That's how it should go. And the pick and roll sets like that will dictate that the best players get the ball more. If you look at these other teams that are good, they don't make sure everybody everybody touches it, but everybody doesn't take equal shots. That should never happen. The best players have the ball, and running more pick and rolls and doing more things with your best players in the action, both on the ball and away from the ball, if you have Ben as the, as the, as the screener and having Embiid doing back cuts, or however they decide to do it, if Embiid has the ball, if Simmons has the ball, it leads to their best players having the ball more, and that's what's really needed in this offense more than anything. They should have a talent advantage against any team in the East outside of the Bucks, and they should be able to dictate to those teams. And I think a more pick-and-roll 
driven offense would dictate to these teams and finally have the offense match the talent level of the Rob. Yeah, completely agree with you on that. Completely agree with you on that. What's up, Tyrone? Uh, George Ryder here. Keeping on the topic of Ben, we've seen a lot of videos of him shooting jumpers in Orlando. And Brett Brown said today he shot more threes in practice last few days than he might have almost half of the season. We've been down this road before, but do you think we'll see a different Ben Simmons coming out in this playoff run, especially with no fans? I don't think the fans thing will necessarily make a difference. Um, I don't think he doesn't shoot just because of the fans. Um, I don't know. I would like to say, oh, yeah, I know for sure. I have no idea. I hope so. Um, and I think it'll look different because he'll play off the ball and he'll embrace that role more. It's simple. If he shoots the ball, the Sixers can win a title. I don't mean they will, but they can. Completely agree. The ball, they, 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 they can't. They can't if he doesn't shoot the ball. So I hope that he shoots the ball more, but I, I, I don't know. I cannot predict for sure, because Ben Simmons is the most unique player in all of the NBA. Ty Dillon back here. Uh, before I get to my Embiid questions, switching gears, um, like like George said, with these videos that have been coming out, do these videos, because I know you've been talking a lot about them, do these videos feel any different than you know the ones we've seen the last two summers of Ben running open gyms and putting up jump shots, all the hype videos we were seeing, and then he still didn't come out and shoot really, and he came out, shot one jumper against uh, well, a team from China in the preseason, and then he shot one in the regular season, and that's, that's it. Um, do these videos feel different to you, or just more hype? It's a little bit different in that he, re he released these, and he knows what's coming, so it's one thing to do it in the summertime and then you still have training camp and stuff like that. This one's a little bit more real and then he released it. I know his photographer, the Sixers photographer, took the videos and they released it. So it's different in that it was more intentional. It wasn't the trainer or somebody else. Right. He had to sign off on it. So it's different in that way. But other than that, you know, it, just, it doesn't prove that he'll be the shooter right. all of a sudden. But I mean, it's a little different in that it's more intentional by him. Right. Well, I definitely hope you're right in that he shoots more. But switching gears from Ben to Joel a little bit, uh, Joel's been mostly quiet during the whole pandemic on social media, especially until a recent interview with John Clark, where he came out and said he's working out six days a week. Uh, he's probably in the best shape of his life, and he wants to get back to dominating like he was right before the break. Uh, but Ty, you know better than anyone from being at the center, if not all, most of the home games, that Joel feeds off that crowd noise and that crowd energy. And, you know, we've seen him. It's been an issue on the road this year where – and it starts with him where he – and him and the team just look disinterested and unenergized on the road at times. Uh, what Joel Embiid should we see – I mean, I know we should we should expect to see Joel Embiid go out and dominate, but do you think we'll see Embiid go out and dominate like he said he wants to? Or will we see, you know, with no fans in the bubble in Orlando that, you know, at times uninterested Joel Embiid? Well, if you look at his home road splits, they're not that different. Uh, good players are good on the road at home. It's the fringe players. So I think Embiid's going to be fine. I think he's going to be what I think he's going to be Joel Embiid. The question I have more is: Is Ben Simmons' man going to be sitting in Joel Embiid's lap or not? And that's really the question I have now. That he's playing the four directly, and they're kind of saying, I know he'll still have the ball a ton, but last year, uh, Gasol gets a lot of credit. Previous year, Horford gets a lot of credit. Oh, they do such a great job on Embiid. But the thing that we don't recognize is Embiid is basically double teams in the playoffs every play in which Ben Simmons is not a threat to shoot the basketball. 
because they sag off of him. And you have a man now playing in front of him, uh, affecting the approach, and obviously behind him who might be a strong defender in Gasol or Horford. To me, what will decide the fate of Joel Embiid in these playoffs are is Ben Simmons is an active offensive threat, and his man has to actually guard him. Then Embiid will have to single up defensive coverage way more often, and I think he'll dominate. If Ben Simmons remains active, I think that directly hurts Joel Embiid's game, and I think that's how it'll play out. Okay. Hey, Tyrone, it's Gint. Um, another Embiid question for you here is, with these eight regular season games, how many minutes do you really want to see him on the floor before the playoffs start? Um, I only want him to play six of them anyway out of the eight. Because the back-to-back, there's no need to play both ends of that. It would be silly to play both ends of that. Um, start out at maybe 25, get up to by the last one that he plays, whatever one they choose. You want to get closer to those playoff minutes. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you tap out at 32, and then the plan for him is to play 38 in the playoffs. That's what the coach has. So I think you just want to ramp up slowly and, and stay away from back-to-back because it just makes no sense to play in a back-to-back in a Sixers case where they really can't change their fate that much by winning or losing in the regular season. All right, I got one more for you. Uh, now that Horford's moved, we, we presume he's going to move to the bench here. How many minutes do you think we'll see uh, Horford and Embiid on the court together now? Um, I think that you'll play, well, it depends on how many Ben's going to play. I don't think you see a lot of minutes with all three of them. But let's say Ben also plays 38 minutes. Those 10 will most likely be staggered. So that's at least 10 together. And we also don't know if Shake Milton is ready to really close playoff games yet. Like, we don't know that. There's no way to predict that. I think they're still going to close together. So I'd probably 12 to 15 minutes a game. Not as many as before, but some. They still have to play together some. I think you won't see all three of them play more than maybe eight a game. Or all three of them. Maybe it's the fourth quarter of Shake struggles. That kind of thing. Offensive, defensive substitutions. But... 12 minutes to 15 together. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, Going off the Al Horford point, Al Horford coming off the bench, they mentioned the new secondary, not a new secondary lineup, but a a lineup that's probably going to see a lot of minutes from the starters, and that's with Ben, Korkmaz, Matisse, Tobias and Horford moving forward. Do you like that lineup with uh, with Horford still being on the bench, Ben getting backup point guard minutes instead of being the primary point guard? It, it's kind of an interesting take, to, and it's weird to say that Ben's going to be the starting four and then the start and then the backup point guard. Do you like that start? Do you like that secondary five moving forward? Uh, I do because you're, you're really long still, and your defense doesn't. I mean, you only have one weak defender that plays. Period. I mean, Tobias is a, a great defender, but he's not a weak defender. So, literally, the only weak defender that you play, period, in that scenario is Portman. Yeah. The only one you have. Most teams can't say that. Like, most teams can't say that. And Horford, I still think he'll play good playoff defense like he has his whole life. So, I think that I, I don't love it because I don't, I don't trust Portman personally, but the coach is going to play him. And I, I don't trust his defense. And if he's not making shots, I just don't know what else he does. While Bible, at least I know he did his shots. He's going to play plus defense. But, yeah, I don't hate it. They don't have a lot of great options. Once um, Mike Scott kind of took a step back, that really put a hole in what they wanted to do with that second year. 
Yeah, I was I was gonna go off the Matisse thing and say that yeah, I like if you're gonna have Corkmaz out there on the perimeter, it's good to have Ben and at least Matisse out there to pick up the slack. But yeah, the Mike Scott thing definitely does hurt them moving forward because you know they were expecting him to be the stretch four. All right, Ty. Uh, one more Sixers yeah, question. He, he made a lot of big shots against them. He made a lot of shots last year against the Clippers. I mean, against the Raptors now, Kawhi with the Clippers. He made a lot of big shots in that series. He's a good reason why that went to seven games, and he just hasn't been the same guy this year. Maybe, maybe the break rested him up. Let's hope so, at least. Yeah, uh, but because he can help you, and he and you also know he's never scared. Yeah, speaking of uh, role players, Ty, uh, other than Joel and Ben, because we know this train is only going as far as those two take us, but you have a max player in Tobias Harris. You have a hopefully healthy and rested hamstring in Josh Richardson now. Um, you have a perennial all-star. He's older now, and now Hartford coming off the bench, which is always nice to have, even though he's had his woes this season and you know, trying to play with Joel. But which player or players do you need and expect to step up in order for the Sixers to make a run, a legitimate run at winning a championship this year? Well, you need, you need Tobias Harris to make open shots because he'll get them and be willing to take them. He, he gave up a lot of too many open looks during the regular season. You need Shake Milton. If he's going to start, he has to be a threat and they have to be, they, they, he has to be guarded and, these NBA defenses in the playoffs are just quickly. Like, you look how the Sixers even just, uh, Van Fleet made a bunch of big shots in the NBA Finals, and he made a bunch of big shots against the Bucks. The Sixers didn't even guard him, and he, they made him unplayable. So he has to be able to make shots. And Court Miles, if he's going to be in the rotation the way the coach has him, he's like the sixth or the seventh man, he has to make shots. This team is good enough if they get enough shot making. They did not get enough shot making, and that's why they were the sixth seed. If they get shot making from those guys, Tobias can make open looks because Simmons and Embiid will provide a lot of open looks where you don't have to work hard. You just have to find an open spot on the floor. If those three guys make shots, Sixers can absolutely win the title. The problem is there were not many stretches where those, first of all, this starting lineup played zero minutes together the whole season, first of all. That two starting lineup played zero minutes together. And then second of all, there was not a time where you got consistent shooting from all those guys. Shooting, shooting, shooting is going to be the key because I think defense is going to be there. Okay, Ty. Uh, one more Sixers question before we switch gears a little bit, because uh, I'm just I'm just curious to know how important is it for you to in these last eight games for them to move up in the seeding, or do you like where they're at in the sixth seed? I don't care. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you have to play the Bucks sooner or later. You'll play them in the, in the, in the second round. You play them in, in the conference final. Just play good basketball. Get your rotation together. It, it falls where it falls. I mean, I can't stand Jimmy Butler, so I wouldn't mind <laughs> playing Miami like in the four or five in the first round because I hate Jimmy Butler. But, but that's just <laughs> me, like not liking the guy that's grandstanding all the time. Right. So I don't really care. It's just a matter of get that rotation together. Make sure everybody's one hundred percent healthy and in shape when they get to the playoffs, and then. Let it play out because there's no home court advantage, so it's just going to be what it's going to be. Okay. Ty, switching it up to some Phillies talk, there's a lot of talk about center field. Is it going to be Roman Quinn? Is it going to be Hazley? What do you think about that, or do you think maybe we see a platoon? I think it's going to start with Quinn, but I don't think Quinn will stay healthy. Yeah. And then after that, it'll be Hazley, and who knows? So that's why I do think they like Roman Quinn because of the speed. And it also takes a little pressure off McCutcheon if you want to ever bat him lead off just because of the you know the bad wheel with the knee. I know he's healthy in McCutcheon, so I, 
be, uh, I think it'll be Quinn. I don't agree with this case, my guy, but I think it'll be Quinn because they think he has to uh, ask another dimension. But Hazy has been apparently very great, been excellent during uh, summer camp so far. Yeah, that's the thing about Quinn. He gets hurt all the time, but his his speed is so deadly on the base path. All right, yeah. So, Ty, switching up, because we do yeah, have... Yeah, they might try to still run. Yeah, uh, switching up, because we do have one more Philly team coming back that might have the best odds at winning a championship this season. Um, so, one, one Flyers question I have uh, for you, or actually two. Um, one is... We've seen uh, Elaine Vigneault lean on Brian Elliott at times this year, especially in tough games. Um because Carter Hart's been so young, but with the Flyers playing uh, a weird season coming back now, do you expect him to use two goalies going into the playoffs, or do you expect him to lean on Carter Hart? Yeah, I think he should lean on Carter Hart, but I think he's still going to play two goalies due to his age. He is very young, and, I mean, this is really only his second year living on his own in his life. Like, he was saying, like, in the minors, you stay with families, like, and then he comes up here, so it's a lot to ask. I think he's going to use two. Now, he may end up using two less than he planned on it since there's no two road games anymore, and, and the home road split thing he's a little worried about. But I think it's more about the physical toll and how they'll set up the schedule, and if they're playing every other day once the playoffs come, I think they might think that's too much for him physically at his age. And for that reason, I wouldn't be shocked if he played, Elliott played one out of five and played two. Give Elliott one, play two, give Elliott one. I wouldn't be shocked if he does something like that. But I think the splits were going to be more closer to a 50-50 or four. So that would still be progress. I think he's still going to play two. Okay, yeah. I mean, Carter Hart came out the other day and said that he's been waiting for this moment his entire life. So I'm excited to see what the kid can do in a playoff atmosphere. Uh, last question, Ty, because I know, I know you're a busy man. Um, which of the three teams coming back? Because it's all weird scenarios here. You, you know, we had the Phillies who have been a kind of first half team the last two years, been fighting for first place in the first half of a 162 game schedule. We know they have a good lineup. We know they have a good one-two punch in the top of their rotation. They could make some noise, possibly. We just talked about how the Sixers are probably the most talented team in the East, beside right there with the Bucks. So they could make it to the finals. And the Flyers before this, before the break, were if not the best, a top three team in the entire NHL. So um, I know it's a tough question to ask. I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but uh, which of those three coming back do you think has the best chance of winning a title this year for Philadelphia? Well, tough. Uh, to the goalie thing. In a normal situation, I would say the Flyers. But the issue is we have not seen the goalie play at all in the playoffs, at all. No track record whatsoever. And that makes it tough to say, oh, they'll win the Cup. But at the same time, the hockey playoffs, the regular season does matter, and any team can win. So I, but because I've never seen the goalie play in the playoffs, not one time, and neither has anybody else, obviously, I can't say they're the favorite. I guess it's the Sixers, but I don't. I actually don't feel good about any of the teams winning a title. Be honest. But I guess it's the Sixers because that all those guys have played in the playoffs before. So at least I know they've been there. It's very hard for me to believe that the first time a rookie goalie ever played uh, playoff hockey in a bubble in Canada, he's just going to carry a team to the Stanley Cup. But I, I just, yeah, all the, as long as they win around, this is all great for me anyway, because I just think coming to the 
had a legitimate shot, and neither did any of you. Because there's no way of telling. So, but I, so I want to say the fly. But I need to at least ask me after the first Flyers playoff. I need to see him play a playoff game before I say, okay, this kid can handle playing in the playoffs. Because I'll tell you one thing, Elliot's not carrying a team to the playoffs to a Stanley Cup. Nah. Hell no. <laughs> like, that's not happening. So it has to be, you You know what I'm saying? So yeah. you're asking a 20-year-old, a 21-year-old to just against Boston and Tampa and a lot of good, or, or possibly Pittsburgh in the first round with all their veterans that have won cup before and been there before. Not that the Flyers can't be, but I'm saying it's different in the playoffs. Absolutely. In my opinion. With the Flyers, so, are you... Are so you... I say none. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. With the Flyers, does chemistry possibly losing it with the big break concern you at all? Because they were hot before the stop, before quarantine started. Does that concern you at all? It, it absolutely does. Because, and that's where the Sixers are a little bit different in that. If the Sixers were disappointing before, they very well could just come back and be disappointing again. Like I said, I expect no unnecessary to win a title. But... If the Sixers do this bonding, they're playing golf together, they're doing birthday stuff, they're doing this, that, and the other thing, Flyers had just perfect chemistry before. Yes. You had the veterans in Hayes and Giroux linked up perfectly with the youth. Provorov was playing out of his mind. It, it is a concern that they can't come back hitting the ground running in the same way. It's absolutely a concern. I hope it's not a concern. I hope it's not a problem, but it, it's a problem. 100%. I completely agree with you with the NBA take, though, how the bubble and them all kind of hanging out and doing all these activities together does boost that chemistry up. If I feel like if it was the other way around with the NHL, it would help, too. Definitely. Yeah. Sorry I had to put you on the spot. The NHL is going to a bubble. Yeah, now they're going to a bubble, but, I mean, the four months off, like, they were at such a high level. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to keep that that chemistry and that hot streak going with a, such a long break. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Uh, well. If neither of those three teams, if neither of these three teams can bring home a trophy, maybe uh, the Eagles can do it this upcoming season if there is one. Yeah. But uh, sorry, I had to put. Well, you... Yeah. The, the Eagles got to Yeah. Yeah. No. Completely agree. Well, Ty. Um. I know you're a busy man, and I hope you're staying safe. But. From all of us, I think we all just want to say thank you for taking the time out of your day to come on and talk some sports with us. And if you're ever available again in the future, we'd love to have you back. No, I appreciate it, guys. You guys enjoy the day, and thanks for having me. I, I, one thing before you go, I just want to say that we uh, opened today's podcast with a little prince for you, all right? <laughs> oh, there you go. Now that's, <laughs> what, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, had to, had to put the prince on right, and bro. open it up. But thanks again, Tyrone. There you go. (laughs) Thanks again, Tyrone. Later. Later. Have a good one. First interview. Good interview, boys. <laughs> he had a lot to say. That very was really good. good. Very good. Really, really good. Oh, yeah, but answered of, a lot of questions. Of course the Wi-Fi had to go down. Really? That's he was right. on a you rant. just stopped talking. I know. I heard him. I'm like, my oh. heart, My heart low-key dropped. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I, no, I was trying to be professional for the interview. Like, are you fucking kidding me? That shit cut. But, hey, a, lot uh, of good, a lot of good uh, questions answered. That was good. No, nah, he's all, he's funny, man. 
I felt bad too because like sometimes like I guess it was yeah, delayed, delayed through his phone. phone. Definitely. I, me definitely. I snapped it once and I was doing it and I was I would go to say something and then he would come out like, yeah. oh shit. <laughs> definitely next time give it five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, um let's keep moving forward with what he was talking about. Maybe jumping into I mean we've talked about it a few times, but he brought up some really good points about the lack of confidence in any three of them. He thinks they're all really good teams and when you're coming down to picking one of these three teams to possibly win a championship, he he, he almost didn't even seem like the idea that the Phillies were yeah, high yeah. in the first half of the season the last two years was an option. Was even relevant in them possibly no. being hot in a shortened season, which is it's kind of concerning, especially with his knowledge and him knowing so much about sports. Because like that was one of our things that we thought might help. Yeah. Them. So what do you guys think on that? Like, did, did your opinion change think- at all? The thing about the Phillies is like Bryce Harper through sixty game, one through sixty in his career games wise is MVP level numbers, and then he drops off. So that makes me really happy. It's like one through sixty. If we're getting that Bryce Harper, mm-hmm. that just right. goes on. on a tear. I don't, I don't know these numbers, but does he drop off right after sixty? No, or no, no. The playoffs All right, count? so it's not a it's not a drop. Playoffs off. is that different. Was, you gotta just assume he gets yeah, hot. It's too not a drop playoffs. off. That was like. That was over saying it, but he his numbers go down after sixty games. That, that's okay. not significantly, fatigue. but he has MVP numbers one through sixty. That's definitely fatigue. Okay. And you could also put into perspective, even though that's fatigue in other seasons, he said he's probably in the most shape that's he's he ever said. been. He's just been working yeah. out like a fucking animal in the off season. So. I do. I did agree. The, th- the Roman Quinn take because he does get hurt all yeah. the time and it sucks because we never even touch he's on that. So fast, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. He's, his speed is deadly on the base but, pass. But right, so here, here's my take on the Phillies. Right, I love the Phillies, the team. I think they have an explosive lineup. They have a very good one-two punch. They have some depth. They have a top manager in baseball now. Love everything about it. Uh, Aaron Nola should have a bounce back year because he was bad last year. Um, Reese Hoskins cannot possibly be any worse than he was in the second half of last season. No. So he should bounce back. <laughs> Literally um, McCutcheon's healthy. You bring in Didi Gregorius. I love it all. The issue, I love the Phillies, the team. The Phillies, the organization, are on my last goddamn nerve. And I think, part of going back to him, and I obviously can't speak for him, and we didn't get to ask him, but I did listen to his interview, with a little bit of his interview with Matt Breen earlier today on The Fanatic. And he's, Matt Breen said he does not see I don't know like what's going on inside the organization, but he does not see uh Bohm or Spencer Howard on the roster in eight days. Which because they're thinking about 2025, 2026. These kids are in their mid, almost their mid-20s now. They're not 19-year-old kids who aren't ready. Why are you worried about five, six years from now and not bringing them up, and you're not paying JT Real Muto? The thing about it is, like, you have... Where else you want to put them on the on the taxi squad? Right. Alec yeah. Boom and Spencer Howard. Yeah. And, if and Spencer Howard. Year, Spencer Howard uh, is apparently throwing three innings right now in right. the exhibition. I mean, game. Matt Breen could be wrong. I'm just saying that's what that was his understanding. And in, and in any year to bring younger kids up that you haven't brought up before, this is the year to do it. To 100%. let Spencer Howard get some innings and games in. To and now you have a universal DH to let Alec Boehm hit DH when take Jay Bruce's place here and there to get his at bats because he's not going to be getting at he's going to be playing scrimmages against the other taxi members. They can't play or taxi team members. They can't play other teams. So he needs for them to get better. They need reps. If you, there's one thing you know about Alec Boom throughout his minor league career is he just rakes. Slugs. Yes. And he just slugs. Like, and the fact and that, that would be amazing to have. And then Spencer Howard, that's 
potentially one of your future right, when aces. You're I with, mean, when you're working with Vinny Velo, Zach Eflin, and Nick Pavetta as your as three of your bottom rotation guys, why not just give the kid a chance? Just a chance, man. And another thing, you have your three hundred and thirty million dollar superstar screaming in the ballpark. <laughs> sign him, like, dude. You you what are you going to disappoint Bryce Harper? Like, the stories coming out that are saying like they might let him test free agency make me they're doing so that, scared. They are only doing that because of the coronavirus. Because right now they're saying times have changed, economics have changed mm-hmm. because of the coronavirus. So they're saying he's still asking for the money he wanted pre-coronavirus. Give it to him. No, no, hundred percent agree. <laughs> I would give him. I would give him a blank check. Yeah. Said so the same thing with Harper. I say the same thing now. I'm saying that's what they're coming out and saying, and that is just so stupid. And if you lose them in free agency, You're I don't know. How, I don't even know how much longer I can be a fan. Literally, we you, got rid of Sixto Sanchez. Not, not like, only did you do really? that, not only did you do that, you brought in Bryce Harper for this money. You've made these moves. I know you have a like ant back into your rotation and your bullpen's unknown, but by bringing in Bryce Harper, by trading for JT Romuto, for bringing in Gene Segura, Didi Gregorius, Andrew McCutcheon, you're in a win-now mode. Exactly. No so you're, that's what you came Absolutely. out and said. And now you're leaving Alec Bohm and Spencer Howard down just to sit down there. You're not signing, you're not extending JT. What are you, pl- what is your plan? Touching on the minor leaguers, though, the one thing that, just for perspective, maybe the one way they're looking at this possibly, I, I know they're, they, they're older, they're in their mid-20s, they should be being brought up. But a way they could be looking at this is since the season's so short, maybe they just want to move forward with the guys that already have kind of sort of a chemistry maybe and maybe not try to shift things up too much. I, I'm just trying to make sense of it just in a certain it. way because that's the only that's like literally the only logical sense I get out of it. Like maybe they just don't want to shake things up too much and bring too maybe. many new names. What I'm thinking what? is like even if you don't if you if you want to like Spencer Howard because of inning restriction or whatever even put him in the bullpen. Like, you can do anything yeah. you want, really. And Alec Boom, there is no reason for him not no. to be on the MLB roster yeah, for the season. I, that, that, is, that is a perfect There's no point. reason. Even if you didn't want Spencer Howard coming up, because pitchers are different, right? He's had a lot of inning restrictions right, in okay. his career. Yeah. But Boom, if you strictly, you don't even have to worry about his, his like, using him in the field. I'm talking about using him as the universal DH, letting him get at-bats in, in real games. There's a lot Why of is lineup, that not an option? A lot of lineup possibilities, especially with Boom like on that team you can yes. switch it up as much as you want it's it doesn't make sense to me i when you told me that breen said that i was very upset no again he <laughs> that could be completely false oh, i hope so but if he said he does not expect to see those two on the roster in eight days when the season starts and that is just mind-blowing to me I think another thing, dating back to Ty, not really considering the Phillies on a championship, is definitely a degree of difficulty in the schedule. Just yeah. the, just those 60 games. You're playing, obviously, the NL East. We've talked about it before. Best division in baseball. Yes. And the worst team in the division we seem to absolutely struggle with, which <laughs> can't happen this yes. season. And then you play the AL East, which is a good division. The Yankees are obviously the most stacked team in baseball probably right now. The Rays. So that's... Yeah, they only that's, play the Rays three times, which is pretty cool. Uh, so okay. it's really tough to... That's clutch. Yeah. it's a That's a really tough regular season. Then you have to roll into the postseason, and that's with, like you said, a good one-two punch, but right. the rest of the rotation is just right. very And, and with Wheeler having possible time off. Yeah, I would feel a lot better if we had Sir Anthony and David Robertson yeah, in the lineup, yeah. but we don't in the bullpen. So it's it's the bullpen does scare me a little bit, but I do like a lot of the names in there. All right. Now, I, I don't know how like well-versed you guys would be in this, but... Just my question, because I've heard some people talk about it. Is this JT contract issue, is this more of a Matt Clentac issue yeah. or a John Middleton, the owner issue? Because Middleton, to me, seemed like the guy that went out and got Bryce Harper into Philadelphia. Yeah. So well, is this a similar situation or is this the GM? Because to me, Clentac, all GMs should have, all good, great GMs should have that like 
that was their signing. That was their move. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Klintak has nothing compared to that. This could be your mark. This could, I brought in, I traded for JT Romuto. I extended JT Romuto. He's going to retire at Philadelphia Philly, and we're going to try to win a championship. I feel like it's kind of both, just because it is Middleton's money. Like, if Middleton was like, go get this done, so, Matt, like, go get this done, yeah. then we would have so got it done you, in so March. You it would have been done believe, in March. So what you're saying is you don't believe that Klintak has free range. As a general manager, because uh, if he, because a free range of general manager, yes, it's the owner's money. But ultimately, if it's a real, if you're the actual general manager, it's just you're using the owner's money. You're saying I'm the general manager. This is what you're going. I'm using your money for this. This is what you're going to be okay with. If Middleton's saying, if Middleton's pulling in the reins, saying no, 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 then he's not. Then he's kind of just labeled the as the general that, manager. The thing that scares me is they haven't they haven't talked about contracts at all it, since March. And that's like that's a long time. If you're talking extension in March, I feel like you should have got it done. Yeah, exactly. It's like <laughs> Holy what? Moly. It's so it's long like ago. Five years ago. Yeah, yeah. It feels so long ago. <laughs> exactly. All right, I got one flyer thing, and then I want to change gears to a team we didn't talk about yet. Right Ooh. before the show wraps up. Okay. Um, so the Flyers sit in the four spot, which we have said with this layout and the 2014 playoff and the one through four round robin is can only benefit the Flyers because they can't go down; they can only go up, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh. Especially you, George. How important, or is it not important, for them to move up in the three games round in round robin to maybe get away from a four-five Pittsburgh matchup mm-hmm. if Pittsburgh advances? I don't want to. I don't want to say it's like super important because even if you're the three, you're playing either the Hurricanes or the Rangers. Rangers were the hottest team in ho- like one of the hottest teams of hockey before the quarantine. Yeah, but the Flyers whooped their ass this year. Yeah, well, I'm, see, I'm not worried about any of them. So if we moved up to the three, I'd be very happy, and then it get. You know, the two seed, you have the Islanders or the Panthers. Uh, there's so many. Every position, you're going to play a decent team. And honestly, I'm not that scared of the Pens. So I'd love to play the Penguins at the four. But if we move up, yeah. so be it. Like, <laughs> it. <laughs> I, I know we've had their number a few times. but We're just yeah. better than them this year. It's yeah, just, yeah, yeah but it comes down to experience, especially in the Yeah, playoffs. and that goes back to what Ty like was saying. Got, with like Car- when they got smoked last playoffs. With Carter, <laughs> with Carter playing his first ep- excuse me, ever playoff game that coming up this year yeah that's going to be a tough with no, with uh to play to play sydney crosby and i know Avengi, that's the thing so like, honestly i wouldn't mind if we move up to the three or two i don't think we'll get the one seed but we'll see we'll see what happens but isn't it like don't you just have to have the best record out of the red robin to get the one seed uh, or does it go back to your initial points it's i think it's best record out of round robin it's very possible it is very possible but we'll see what happens but it is scary though because you can see them going three and oh it's also a possibility they go zero and three. Yeah, no, really, <laughs> really. Like, but how, uh, how many games are they? They're only playing three games. I thought three, they were playing nine games. That's what I thought. They're playing it's each only, team three times. It's I only thought. three. Oh, it's only three games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I, th- I thought it was each team twice, and then that's the schedule. The schedule came out, and hold on, I'll tell you. I'll tell you right now. I would love a August second against the. Yes. Yeah. So, but the, that's a, the qualifying rounds start August first. Okay. And then, but that's going simultaneously with the round robin one through four seedings. So their first game is August second against the Bruins, August fifth or August sixth against the Caps, and August ninth against the Lightning. Which is also interesting because it's not like they're playing like every other day, every day like the Sixers and Phillies are going to be doing. They're playing every three or so days, which with rest and 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 goaltending can I don't know it can kind of help. But yeah, so they only play those three games if they go three and zero. They could very well yeah, get the one seed. The like, yeah. We've had the Caps and the Bruins number all year. Yes, the we, Lightning scare me. The Lightning scare the shit out of me. Caps and Bruins, we've we've played them well all yeah. year. Yeah. yeah, we have. We uh, smoked the Caps right before the quarantine, 5-2. Yeah. 
All right, switching gears last 10 minutes of the show, I want to talk about something that came out this week. So sent you guys Brian Baldinger's tweet earlier this yeah. week, and he, he said he's been hearing whispers of a big move coming and that the birds could be much better come mid-July. And I'm like, Clowney or Everson yeah. Griffin? Because yeah. Everson yeah. Griffin wants – he sounds like he wants to be in the NFC East too, where he said he wants to play for a contender in the NFC East, which would either allude to us or the Cowboys and us. Better be us. <laughs> uh, yep. And Clowney has also said the same thing. Uh, and then they come out and bring in Jason Peters, bring Weird. back Jason Peters for a one-year, three million guaranteed, six total uh, deal to play right guard because of the Brandon Brooks injury. Now, before I throw it to you guys, here's what I'll say: We talked, we thrown out this idea before. I said I want to know part of it. I still don't know. Um, I think it's better than having Matt Pryor play there. So I'm not super excited about it. You're still going to get the untimely false starts. But what I will say is if there was any offensive lineman of any position on the line at an at this age that can make the transition from left tackle to right guard, it's Jason Peters. I think it's a good move, honestly. I, yeah. I, I just I think it was a no brainer. It's not like yeah. it's not like well, it's, for the yeah. money, yeah. The, yeah. the whole the whole issue was seeing if he was he wanted to play guard, yeah. which he, he originally didn't want to play guard. He still wanted to be in that tackle position. So it was convincing him to play guard, which now, I knew he was gonna I, I didn't know for sure, but I kinda just seemed like it was a for sure that he would eventually make that switch. And honestly, it's the best thing you can do right now. It's not you don't have to you don't have to move around like a tackle. You don't have to do all that extra shit. You just play no. guard, fill in your experience, your vet. You know what you're doing. But and it does make him better. I agree. But what what's interesting is since he played the left side of the line his whole life, his whole career, what you could see is possibly say Mala moving back to right guard. And JP playing left guard, very close to his left tackle position, rather than the opposite side of the line, which and would so, make sense. Yes. Definitely, because, because they haven't thrown that because out there yet. he's no. he's worked so much on that left tackle yes. position. He's definitely through film, through right. practices. You know, he was his whole career. Right. He's always and, had to think about that guard position being right there. So he definitely knows more and is probably more accustomed to that side of the field, yes. like you were saying. And I would much rather have Jason Peters next to Andre Dillard. Then Jason Peters be next to Lane Johnson and Jason Kelsey and Isaac Sayamala next to Andre Dillard. Yeah, yeah, spread out absolutely. the talent. Spread yeah. out the talent. I think that's the way to go. But what do you guys think? But yeah, I, like I said, I, I, we all saw this coming. I, I, yeah. At least I saw it coming. I'm assuming you guys did too. But I what, didn't think it was the move. Baldy well, yeah. Was when he made about. the tweet, yeah. I thought that Brown. this wouldn't be considered a big move. Like we said. This was a no-brainer. Uh, he's a vet. He's been here forever. He's the bodyguard, and I'm glad to have him back because, like you said, you don't want to be shuffling everyone out of different positions. He's obviously going to be out of position, but it's something he has to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's the thing. All it was was does he want to play right guard, and then yeah. you sign him for a deal like that, and it's like, obviously, yeah, yeah. of course. Sure. It's, not, it's not the sexy move that like he tweeted and you expected, yeah. but it's good. It's what you want. Let's have a conversation, boys. So, we've had this COVID conversation before. Now, I want to get your guys' thoughts on this because it did break that, know you know, that. Philadelphia, the health officials of Philadelphia came out and said that this is important. There will be no, no people like to get through 2021. So, the mummers canceled and everything. Mm-hmm. So, then there was speculation of, well, it says public, like you need a permit in public places. So the link didn't qualify. But as of right now, in the modified green zone, the Eagles came out and said, as of now, yes, they're not allowed to have fans, but that could change come come football season. Here's But here's my take, right? So again, I, I don't have a problem with no fans. 
That's fine. I, I do. Yeah. I well, well, no, 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 not no, no, no. in the sense of public yes, health. Yes, yes, but. yes. That's what I mean in public health. But what I'm saying, to me, where it doesn't make sense, especially in Jersey, I don't know what Philly's things are right now, but in Jersey, dude, beaches are open, malls are open, every store is open. There's a bunch of shit. Bars are open, restaurants are open, right? And I know there's restrictions to them, but to, and, and I know there's a lot more people going to be there. But to me, in a space that you can fit 70,000 people at the link, you're telling me you couldn't fit a couple thousand where you set up, where you had people place a plan where these are the seats available every couple rows. Every If a group buys three or four tickets available, that last seat's taken off the chart, and then there can't be. You have to wear a mask into the stadium to your seat. If you get up to go to concessions to the bathroom, you wear your mask, just like in a bar or a restaurant or just like anywhere. And stores, if you've been to a, a Walmart, a Wawa, anywhere, they have the stickers on the floor for six feet. You're telling me in bathroom lines and concession lines, you couldn't put those down, have security and, and employees there to enforce those rules that people aren't crowding around? Like, to me, to not even fit a couple, a small percentage of 70,000 people in a place because it puts people at health, but you, you allow beaches to open and malls to open and bars and restaurants and all the stores to open, like... It doesn't make sense to me. But the the thing you got to think about too is that when it comes down to seating and seventy thousand fans, how many of those tickets are season ticket holders? How many of those seats? Well, they were are, refunded. I think. Well, they were yeah, yeah they're refunded. They're refunded but when, if they do open up the season to fans and they do change that rule and they somehow make it work, yeah. even getting past, because if anyone can get by this rule, it's the Eagles, no yeah, doubt. Absolutely. But. You're gonna, you're just gonna get so much outrage because there's gonna be a huge portion of people that feel the need, that feel the right, that they deserve a seat. They're not gonna get their mm-hmm. seat. They're gonna get moved back. I think they will just avoid the headache altogether. And I also think that you're gonna start seeing this. I think by the time football starts up, it, there's gonna be no fans. I think it's gonna be NFL rule. That's what I'm saying. I don't think Philly's gonna be selected out. It's not gonna be an Eagles decision. I don't oh, see 100%. the NFL allowing there, because fans my, at all. That was what I was getting to. So New England and Jacksonville have come out and said there will be at some capacity twenty five in Jacksonville and yeah. I think twenty percent in New England well, they're gonna allow fans. Florida doesn't care. Yeah. Um, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> but you but like you just said, Gant, there's no way you can allow this to be stadium by stadium. It's thing, gonna be right? an NFL. It's thing. gonna be either that you're allowing fans and you have to work every, something out with every city that has a stadium or there's no fans because you can't have Dallas allowing fans, Philly not. Yeah, we yeah. going down there to play thirty three percent capacity yeah. in it's Arlington, and then them coming here and, and we have no fan. and no fans. No. And that's the thing that honestly I'm really concerned about moving forward because with football, it, it is a very big factor. Home field advantage. Oh, sorry, to have fans like it, with with making teams have to go through taking away their audibles to doing all all those small little things of having the voices in the, the, the opposing players' ears. It, this, if this is going to be a huge loss because a lot of especially the Eagles, we just know how good they are at home, and you're taking that away. And if other teams still have the ability to have fans, it's like you said, it's like, yo, what the hell are we supposed to do? Like, it's not fair. It's literally not fair. Especially being from the area, it just bothers me, I guess, to an extent where, like, you have states that just don't care, like Florida, where Florida's, if not the worst, the second or third worst with Arizona and Texas right now. I think they're the worst. They Um, definitely are the worst. They're breaking records. (laughs) They're literally breaking corona records. Shattering records. And you have the Jags coming out and saying already now in July that they're going to be allowing 25% of their fans in the stadium. And then Philly, where I feel like it's been on a steady decline. Well, they had a big spike over the last week. Yeah. Like that's one of the reasons they went with that approach. They even took, they even cut back yesterday, last night. Yeah, twenty five percent, twenty five percent. 
like uh, a restaurant. There was a lot of changes. You can't even drink at the bars unless you're ordering food. food. Yeah. 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 So with all that being said, like I I think it's like what Ken said. They're eventually just going to make it an NFL thing, and like you have to if you want it to be fair. And if you don't, you're going to hear a lot of bitching from owners. I don't think the if the owners can't if there's a few owners out there that aren't going to be able to have home fans, they're going to make sure their voices are heard, and they're going to make sure that this isn't a like this isn't a state by state thing and it's an NFL thing. Another question, uh so if they go that I know it was a couple years ago the Saints were gonna play the Seahawks in the first round. They tried to do like a a noise like in the they were trying to play yeah. noise of fans. Yeah. But yes. It was literally like breaking the Saints stadium speakers. So I wonder if they try to go to route with the noises, but I still if you're gonna go no like fans, I think I don't know what crowd. you'll. I think yeah. they'll pump and crowd they noise. Have to. Yeah, they I have think to. every sport will, because like that's just kind of the way. But it's then looking. it comes down to yeah. which stadium has the best audio, and yeah. how do we audio, yeah. how do we upgrade our audio system to get? Yeah. This I'm and that. saying this, and I, like I don't know. I I think we could. I think we're going to see some capacity of fans in the NFL. I, I really just I think I think the stadiums are too big to where you're saying like you can have a party of, of up to 500 people outside in like New Jersey or something. But you can't fit a couple thousand in a seventy thousand person stadium. Also, like you could come up with a plan to spread it out. Even you could, but it's just going to be so difficult because you've seen NFL stadiums. They're That's lit- fine. They're literally yeah. just clusterfucks with people rushing around drunk as hell, like not respecting each other's spaces. How many times have you been in an NFL stadium and felt like you were going to suffocate because of everybody in there? But that's a that's a packed crowd. I'm saying fifteen percent of seventy thousand is not a lot of people. I, I get that, but still, you're going to just make it so limited. I just feel like you might as well just go. Fans. Yeah, I guess. I think the NFL will. Yeah, oh. me too. All right, boys. Well, let's let's wrap great this thing show, up. great first interview. Also, guys, uh, if you're listening, and we're going to be putting out on our Instagram and Twitter soon, um, and our YouTube page, we do have merch available now. We're going to yeah. be coming out with more hey. cool designs. What is it? T uh, Public. Yeah, T Public has Faithful Fanatic merch. It's just our logo right now. It's on anything. Kids and adult sizes, men and women, uh, hoodies. That's the cool. That's the cool thing about C Public. They give you the, 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 a lot of creativity with yeah. what you want to pick. It's not just one design. It's our logo. It's our cover art right now. But we're in the works of yeah. making some other designs too. And that being said, make sure you go check us out on Instagram at Faithful Fanatics. Yeah, Faithful Fanatics. I always forget the PH. (laughs) Faithful Fanatics and follow us on Twitter at Faithful Fans. And, you know, just go there to check in on everything that we're doing. And also make sure that you subscribe to the YouTube channel and you subscribe to the podcast to get all our new episodes. And that wraps things up. We'll see you guys next week. We out. Nice, guys. Later.